In this episode of the Story Safe podcast, we get to know a Canadian icon, Rita Cox, the Story Save artist for 2021. Rita's list of accomplishments is truly dizzying. She's a celebrated author and storyteller, an influential librarian, teacher, arts advocate, community leader, and former citizenship court judge. During Rita's 35-year career at the Toronto Public Library, she pioneered programs and collections that promoted literacy and multiculturalism and ultimately changed lives. As a storyteller, Rita has performed all over the world. She's established festivals, taught storytelling, given countless addresses, and received many awards. She has been given two honorary doctorates and was appointed a member of the Order of Canada. It's no wonder that in her hometown of Toronto, a park is named in her honor. With all this acclaim, she remains decidedly humble. Well, I have red letter days. I have things that I am very, very proud of. I never thought that a little girl from backwards came here and found myself on Sussex Avenue receiving the Order of Canada, you know? I said, again, I'm gonna say, how did that happen? <laughs> you know? But it seemed that storytelling has been the constant, the constant uh, ingredient in my entire life. In 2021, Rita recorded her first ever storytelling album, Wit and Wisdom, Anansi Tales and Other Stories. We sat down with Rita at her home in Toronto to hear about Caribbean folklore traditions, the power of libraries, and how growing up in Trinidad made her the storyteller that she is. Well, I've heard stories all my life. And I think without knowing it, I've been telling stories all my life. I grew up with stories, and I grew up with many storytellers. Everybody was a storyteller. People were telling stories as cautionary tales, stories just to make us laugh, it's just stories that taught us lessons and um, stories that every child and every grown-up remembers are the stories that scared us, the stories of the spirits, of the folklore characters, the evil stories, and dark characters out of the dark. As a child, Rita loved hearing these kinds of stories from a beloved old man everyone called Pa. We had a place that we went to in August when we had school holidays. We went to the beach for a month. And Pa lived up there. He was an old man. All the children were up there at the same time. And everybody knew Pa told stories. So it was a place we went to. And we'd sit on the graph and he'd sit on his doorstep. And he'd say, well, I'll tell you. And then he'd start to tell us these stories. No, it's a, a, a place that had no streetlights, very rural, no streetlights, and lots of growth. So the trees sometimes met in the middle, 
So we were walking through a tunnel of trees after hearing all these horror stories. And the leaf would fall out, owl would hoot, and we just all link together and scream and, and run home. But it was a de kind of delicious fear, if you know what I mean. And community life was infused with these kinds of tales. The stories of the supernatural were stories that were told among the children, but there were stories that everybody in the community told at wakes and weddings and card games. There'd be a party and then people will start sharing their experiences with these characters. And most people, when they told those stories, I mean the grown-ups, they told them as if it happened to them. So those were the stories, ironically, that, that we love to hear more than anything else. There are several of these stories featured on Rita's album, Wit and Wisdom. We get to know frightening characters like La Jablesse, La Gaou, and the Sukunat. But as Rita explains, they are not just scary favorites. They're connected to an important part of Trinidad's colonial history. If you notice in some of the stories that you will hear, the names are French, although the characters are African. We were governed by the Dutch, the Spanish, the French, and then the British. The Africans had all of these kind of supernatural characters. But when they came over to the New World, they brought those creatures with them. Now, when the French settlers came to the Carib to Trinidad, let's see, they lived the life of the aristocrats because they were all noble people, men and women. And they had great balls and the slaves could watch from afar and see the dancing and the ladies all dressed in their best and so on. Beautiful women in the best clothes. And now the La Diablesse in folklore is always a beautiful woman, really beautifully dressed. But she was, she was evil. It's a, a, a woman who was used her beauty and her guile to lure young men to their destruction. And I could see that using that character of the upper class, turning into a cruel person who could destroy the young men that she, she lured. So I could see the relationship to making that character very evil. And I see in mostly all of the supernatural characters, they use their magic powers to scare, to overcome. And it has something to do with the characters they brought with them from Africa, which they linked to their experiences in the New World. Another character brought from Africa and an important part of Rita's repertoire is the trickster Anansi. Stories of Anansi came 
to the Caribbean with the slaves. In Africa, Anansi is more of a spiritual character, God. But when he was brought to the Caribbean, he became a modern New World character. But he kept his trickery. But it had other meanings. With Anansi coming as a slave, meant he was a weak, powerless character who was under the domination of the larger and more powerful um, leaders and slave owners and government. And I imagine the slaves getting together to tell stories of a weak, powerless creature being able in those stories through his wits, through his guile, through his trickery, to overcome the huge, powerful tiger or the lion, the stronger and more powerful characters. And that, I see, for me, is what Anansi stories tell us. Trinidad's vibrant oral tradition was as much about entertainment as it was about lessons and guidance. I had a very British kind of education as a young person, and that's a good thing. But still, at home, and we went to the country, I heard stories, I heard proverbs. You see, they will tell you things like, ha ha, night run till they catch it. And then my mother said that I better straighten up or I'd get it. She'd reached her last nerve. Or she said, ha ha, monkey know what tree to climb. And you know that you are doing something that you're not supposed to be doing and you're going to suffer the consequences. You see? So those are the ways we, we knew when they used those, those adages and so on. We knew what they meant. Crab walk till it get in the pot. That means you don't talk to strangers. You don't go to other people's homes. When somebody says crab walk till it gets in the pot, you know that you do not have anything to do with a strange person. I think it was a rich kind of education for my youth, for my childhood, which made me want to be a storyteller. But I did not think of storytelling as a performance art. It was a way of communicating. Rita's past to storytelling wasn't just about being immersed in Trinidad's proverbs and folk tales. She was raised amongst books, and she loved to read. Well, I was a library child. My mother was a teacher. And um, we love books. And the head of the library was my father's friend. They were cricket buddies. Some of us, my friend Florian and I, were given jobs, we were about 11 or 12, to come and after school and put the books, pack the books on the shelves and so on. So we became library children. Rita worked in the library into her teen years until the community received a grant to build a new children's library. 
And when a librarian from New York was sent to help set up the new book collection, Rita met the person who would change the course of her life. Augusta Baker. She was an African-American woman. She was a very senior person of the New York Public Library. She was the head of children's services. And she was also a professor at Columbia University. And she taught children's literature and storytelling at Columbia. She was very interested in us young people. And one of the things she wanted to do was start a storytelling tradition in the New York Public Library, there were a lot of traditions. One of the traditions were the Saturday afternoon storytelling. And also, the librarians went into schools and told stories to the children. And so, she heard me tell a story. And I'd never forget what she told me. She said, you have a gift, hone it. She was the one who told me I was a storyteller, in spite of the fact that we were all storytellers, but she was the one. And although Rita was making plans to move to the UK to study, Augusta had another idea. She suggested that I come up to the States for school instead and promised that she would be a mentor. Out of the blue, as if it was magic, because I had already been making arrangements to go to London, England to school. And the plans were changed, and I went to New York instead, working at Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street, you know, the main library with the two lions. I look back and think, did I dream this? I still think, did I dream it? In New York, Rita went to university, worked at the library, and was immersed in some of the city's most exciting literary events. And I got to meet some of the cream of the literary world because that's where everybody came to do research at that main library. I met Willa Nicholas, I met Marcia Brown, I met Helen Maston, I met Maria Chamino. I was in the right place at the right time. Rita's passion for early children's literature led her to find out about the excellent work being done at the Toronto Public Library. Such fantastic people in, in Toronto Public Library, people who were dedicated to literature, and they were storytellers. They had some of the most, the foremost experts in children's literature. And I looked it up and I thought, oh my God, this is what I want. So I thought to do my research in early children's literature, this was the ideal place. In no time, I got the permission, I got accepted to come to Canada as a landed immigrant. And on the 3rd of November, 1960, I landed in Canada. I didn't mean to stay. <laughs> Rita got down to work and loved it. After a decade with the Toronto Public Library, her friend, colleague, and well-known storyteller, Alice Kane, was retiring from her position in Parkdale in Toronto's West End. And she knew that Rita was exactly 
the right successor. But Rita wasn't so sure. I did not want to go because I had spent a summer there and I didn't like the people. It was where the language center was and the people were kind of distant. I have a letter from Alice Kane. She wrote to me, she said, Rita, I want you to come to this. I know you're reluctant because you like it. But this place needs you. It needs your youth. It needs your creativity. It needs your temperament. It is the place for you. Please come. And uh, she, used her, she used her little tricks. And eventually, what could I say? I took the job very reluctantly at Parkdale. And in 1972, I went to Parkdale Library as a children's librarian. And six months later, they asked me to head it. Alice Kane's gut feeling about Rita and Parkdale was bang on. And Rita understood immediately that her role in the community would be about much more than books. Parkdale was a neighborhood with a lot of challenges. It was the home of newcomers and many people who struggled with mental illness, unemployment, poverty, and often a lack of education. Even now I remember people saying, if people can't read, why are they coming to a library, you know? But they were our clients. That was the place that they would come for information. So while we had all kinds of wisdom on the bookshelves, it was no use to them because they had to find daycare. They had to find places to live. They had to find information about trans transportation so they'd know where to go and get jobs. My job description said, serve the needs of the community. And since I obeyed my job description, I sought the community. I went to the Polish priest, I went to the credit union, I went to the tenants association, the ratepayers association, the business, the BIA, and so on. I went to all their meetings to do my sort of research to know how I would respond. It is in responding to the needs of the community that the services grew. Those services kept growing. Rita discovered a whole other need in the community when two mothers of children at the Parkdale School came to her for help. One of them was a woman from the Caribbean, Jamaica, and she said, the principal said, I must read to the children, but I don't know how to read. My staff, we got together and said, well, let's see if we can do something. And that woman and some other people, we started just one-to-one -one staff who volunteered working with these, children, these parents. And from that, one thing led to another, and we started Project Read Parkdale. Project Read has been supporting adult learners since 1977. And Parkdale's book collection was also in for a big change. There was material in 23 different languages, but Rita found something important was lacking. With all those collections, 23 different languages, 
I did not see my own literature there. Yes, in the collection, the general collection, there were some familiar titles. But I knew that we had a very considerable, important Caribbean literature, which should be represented by itself. And I did not see that there. It wasn't easy because the people in the acquisitions department and everywhere thought our literature is written in English. So why should it be separate? So I gave them the reason why it should be separate because it comes out of a different culture, a different background. Our literature is a whole different thing. It's like our stories. Rita developed a plan. And as she and her staff began to build a collection, they realized just how much was missing. Eventually, the collection grew into 16,000 items, and it's now available at five different branches. It was later renamed the Rita Cox Black and Caribbean Heritage Collection. And that is why Parkdale Library became such a place for Caribbean writers and other activities with the Caribbean, because I did so much with the literature of the region. Rita's commitment to multiculturalism and literacy helped more initiatives grow at Parkdale, like the Black History Month celebrations, the Community Information Center, and the Parkdale Intercultural Association. And storytelling remained the undercurrent in everything Rita did in the community. She regularly told stories to children of all ages and mentored the next generation of storytellers at the library. She taught workshops and university courses on storytelling, wrote storybooks, and initiated the groundbreaking Kumbaya Festival of Black Heritage and Storytelling. Her storytelling work would bring her across Canada and all around the world to Europe, Brazil, and China. When I was appointed as a citizenship court judge, I had to interview people to evaluate their qualifications to become citizens. And so I'd have to ask them questions. But I got stories from them more than they got stories from me. Some of them would want to tell me their whole story. It's a good way of introducing one pe person to another. It's a good way of reaching out. Even people who, are, who can't speak the language we could understand the language of story. It's a unifying thing. These were the experiences that drove home how storytelling built connections and helped us understand one another. Rita's impact in Toronto and in communities around the world has been extraordinary. But Rita gives a lot of credit to the art of storytelling itself. Storytelling influenced my entire life. It was the key to my opening community, education, friendships, and everything else. It gave me transferable skills that I could use in almost every aspect of my life. I think that loving stories has been the sort of guide for my whole life. 
With her deep well of experience and vast literary knowledge, we couldn't end our chat without getting Rita's key lessons for aspiring storytellers. Her advice is fittingly as full of lyricism and wisdom as her stories are. It's very important to love what you're doing. You must want to tell stories. And the thing is, we all tell stories. So once you have decided that you'd like to tell stories, you have to have a repertoire. I have um, learned a lot of stories from different folklore. But you cannot share that story until it becomes yours. And that means ma making it in a way that you can see it, you can taste it, you can feel it. It has to be part of you. If it doesn't belong to you, you can't give it away. And the important thing is to read and read and read. As you read and read, you will notice that the, in telling a story is different from reading a story. There is a language of story. There is a certain kind of emotion of a story told orally. This storytelling is a different experience where the listener has to bring something to the experience, just as well as the teller. And that marriage of the voice of the, the teller and the ear of the listener. And I always say this, it's a gently echoed music that comes back. As, as I give it, you send it back. And we go on the journey together, but we seek our own paths. You can find Rita Cox's album, Wit and Wisdom, along with bonus stories recorded during this interview in the Story Save section of the Storytellers of Canada website. Since 2002, StorySave has been recording and saving the work of Canada's master storytellers. The program is supported by Canada Council of the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. This episode was produced by Marianne Grunner with editorial support from Dinny Biggs, Susan Charters, and Keisha Christie. Technical production is by Don Matheson. Music is by Robert Walker Poet. Rita's album and this podcast were produced with the support of the Ontario Arts Council and the generous donations of Rita's many fans. I am Keisha Christie. Thanks for listening. <laughs>